0: Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black, my co-host, Cole Miller, and a wonderful guest that we have on this week. I, I was blessed to be able to go on his show and spout about some guard prospects for a few hours. We, we did one heck of a show that night. Um, it- it's a pleasure to have on Chuck from the Chucking Darts NBA Draft Podcast. Chuck, how are you doing this evening?
1: I'm doing very well, Nate. The uh, the honor and the pleasure is all mine. And uh, if anyone is interested in going back and listening to that episode, I think you came out and said that you thought Baylor had a shot to win the national title and that you believed it, you know, really thought they had a chance and look at us now. So very happy to pay back the favor and come on a uh, draft deeper.
0: Jared, Jared Butler's my guy. He's going to be my guy and I still can't believe that he isn't rising up draft boards a little quicker than than at least where I would take him, but it it, it is what it is. Who knows? Maybe when people go back into that foam a little bit, they'll come to a different conclusion and, and be more on our level, I think, as a collective, where we're pretty in the Jared Butler camp, but, but yeah, that, that Baylor-Gonzaga game, I, I, people have asked me about it, to be honest, and I, I tell them I wasn't shocked by it obviously i'm surprised to an extent that gonzaga lost that game chuck and and you and i didn't really get to talk about that off the air i don't know if you have any other opinions to throw in there about the championship i wasn't like shocked that baylor pulled it out just because of how how good they were as a team all year long but obviously there's a little bit of surprise when, when you think about how they dismantled the offensive machine that gonzaga was
1: yeah, man. I mean, it was just very impressive. I, I don't think that I have anything really insightful to add um, compared to anyone who watched that game. And there's the better team from the tip. And everything that makes Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell really good, you know, scaled up in that game in a major, major way. So, yeah, they, it was a, a wonderful performance by them.
0: Cole, do you have anything you would want to throw in before we 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 hop into the guys we're going to talk about this week? I know you weren't on with me last week when I talked to Rich about a lot of the fallout.
2: Yeah, I'll just say that it seemed like Baylor throughout the tournament seemed to catch that same mojo they had early in the season before their layoff uh, with the COVID, and then you know, Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell are two very high-level guards. And when you get to the tournament play, we all we all have seen in the past what two high-level or what any high-level guard can do for a tournament team. They they took over, and, and they did not let up. So, yeah, cheer, hats off to
0: Baylor. Absolutely. So what we're going to do this week is we're going to talk about some guys who obviously I'm sure there's some draft boards out there that, that might have one or who knows, maybe there's even a board out there that has all four of these guys as, like, first-round-type talents. But I, I think that at least the three of us here, we'd agree that we'd probably rate these guys out to be – second round talents at least the guys we're going to talk about first depending on how much time we have we might get into some, some more top names that i would just have some questions for for chuck about some of the things that we've been talking about on social media recently but we may we want to start with four second round type grade guys and i want to start with isaiah livers the, the, the senior forward out of Michigan. Now, he didn't get to play a full year this year because of a foot injury. He missed their tournament run. The Michigan team actually played, I'd say, fairly well without him. But if they would have had him, he probably would have been that difference maker to help Michigan get to a Final Four because he is that impactful of a shooter. Um, he, he was obviously a, a deadly marksman from three, shooting 43% from three on the season with about five three-point attempts per game. And he's one of those guys that you're not really going to ask him to do much off the bounce or really be that threatening of a score inside the arc, but he's an experienced player. He's somebody who could certainly cut and move it out basketball if he has to, if a system calls for it. Some of those metrics he actually rated out pretty well in as far as synergy is concerned, especially this year when he was healthy. So one of the popular opinions that i've seen on draft twitter and this throws me back a little bit and chuck i'm gonna want to get your opinion on this since you're a guest i'm gonna go to you first i've seen some pushback where, where people were talking about why take someone like Corey kispert a player who despite me having some different opinions about his level that he's on still plays a similar game in some respects and kind of gives you some of the same things that Livers would be from a more limited role on offense. Why take somebody like Corey Kispern in the lottery when you can get somebody like an Isaiah Livers in, in the second round? And I've seen you chime in on that opinion here and there on draft, t- draft Twitter, but that seems to be much more of a common question that people are asking. And, and I want to get your take on why that might be and where, where are you on that side of the debate? Do you kind of still have kispert among like a lottery level type grade or would you maybe side with the notion that why would i waste that kind of a pick when i could potentially circle back around and get somebody like livers in the second round
1: uh yeah man it's a, it's a good question um i tend towards the latter i i tend to think that Kispert, um, and not to make this about Kispert, but his theory like is not a very complicated theory of the way he's going to provide value. In fact, I think one of the reasons he's gotten the bump that he has is that in a year where there are so many wing prospects, he at least is certain about what the value is that he's going to provide. He's not really a ball of clay. He's a finished uh, sculpture, so to speak. And to me, he... um i think that kispert great at uh, you know shooting deep shooting off movement really any kind of any kind of three-point creative three-point look that you can get kispert's going to be able to provide but i still i i can't get there and put him in the lottery um when people talk about how he has this all-court game and he shot so well from two this year I just don't see, you know, the movement skills and the ball skills really inside the arc to make him anything more than a very good uh, three-point specialist. And I think that he's a better prospect than Isaiah Livers because his I think he moves around the court a bit better than Livers does and his release is a little quicker. Like, he's really polished his skill set to where he's going to be able to contribute right away. But... If you were to tell me that Livers was going to be available at pick, you know, 45, pick 50, which very well may be the case in this draft, you know, depending on how it falls, I would rather take a shot on him um, back in that realm uh, than I would Kisper. I mean, Livers in his career at Michigan, um, I've got him at 41% from three on 340 attempts. Uh, He's just, I mean, he's 6'7", just like Corey Kispert is. Mm -hmm. He's very, you know, thick. He's listed at 230 pounds. And he did play, you know, default, you know, a healthy amount of four for them, uh, you know, depending on their lineup construction. And he just looks, he doesn't look to me to be a better shooter than Kispert, which means that he probably won't be as good a player as Kispert because they're both going to be specialists.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: But... I do think that you like teams are probably better served taking a chance on a more uh, all-around wing player in the lotto, or just an all-around player in general than Kispert, and then still getting the very good value that you know a six-seven marksman like Livers can provide late.
0: So uh, I'll chime in with a few thoughts, and then I'll toss it over to Cole for for some of his opinions. But first of all, the 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 injury concerns with Livers don't necessarily back up his case and would actually lead me to potentially steer away from him a little bit even in like that early second round like I'm confident that somebody's going to take him there because he's been that efficient at the very least shooting from deep for Michigan but that that gives me a little cause to pause and then the other thing is that when we talk about scoring inside the arc And some of the things he's able to do off the dribble, some of the step backs, he's able to go to his potential finishing package around the basket. To me, I've seen examples of it on film. And if and when I do write about Isaiah Livers this year, I'm sure that I'll pull some of those clips as examples in a profile piece. But in terms of a consistency in doing those things, I think that's more of an idea than a proven commodity. Whereas the the argument against Kisper, one of the main arguments is that he can't do a lot of stuff off the dribble or he's not an isolation shot creator himself. And that's true. At, at the same time, how much of how much of that are you really going to ask him to do? And the things that he can do, he is very functional at doing. And the percentages on a larger sample size inside the arc don't bear out really well. And Cole, I think you might want to chime in a little bit about some of his synergy stats that, that, that you were able to pull in terms of what he does specifically driving to the basket that might also argue against him a little bit. Not not that we're condemning him as this player that shouldn't be drafted at all. No, 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 by any means, we're not, we're not doing that. But I'm saying that this idea that like he's so much of a value in the second round as this shooting specialist to where you shouldn't look at somebody like a Kispert potentially in the lottery even like in the mid first round that you should take like a home run swing and completely pass on him for something that you think you might have in livers but might not ultimately bear out. I think that's more where we're going with this conversation and Cole, what are your thoughts about that?
2: Yeah, so to touch on those numbers, I mean, Synergy has him as a, a poor and below average driver going right and left, uh, and then also as a pick-and-roll ball handler when he's hunting his own offense, he rates out in 27th percentile, so I can't really see him translating to anything more than a shooting specialist at the next level, and then he's not really a stellar defender, so you really are just getting, uh, in my opinion, the shooting. Um, that said, he's a very good shooter, and he's 6'7", so that is valuable, absolutely, Um but the injury stuff is a definitely concern, um, and Kispert, as well as his, you know, as good as a shooter shooter he is, he has also been healthy the entire time in college. Yep. Uh, I think that is like something you need to think on with him going forward. He's a pretty sturdy dude, uh, and it's also a value um, to, to get that as well. So when he's and Kispert is going to be such a weapon for an offense. I mean, like the the offense, the creative offenses in the league. You run a ton of motion and Kispert, like you said, Chuck, he moves a little bit better than livers on the court. And I think that, you know, that's going to keep happening throughout the league. And he's, he's going to be a very sought after weapon at the next level.
0: And just to toss it back over to Chuck a little bit, I know that we didn't necessarily want to make this like a whole Corey Kisberg conversation, but he he's, he's fresh in my mind because I just wrote about him. He was one of the profiles I put out this week. From that championship game, you, you see a lot of people dropping him on boards because of his performance both in that championship game as well as kind of the tournament other than like that first game as a whole. did did he necessarily drop on your board from the tournament run or or you kind of just stayed the course on him and you kind of have it where you do, and that's just going to be how it is.
1: Uh, I stayed the course mainly. um, And it it was more that, you know, I didn't think that he was, uh, maybe I'm mixing up final four games, but I thought like in some pressure moments, it was probably against UCLA, the game I'm thinking of, I thought he played pretty well and acquitted himself. Well, like, the thing with Kispert, again, is that I I don't think there's a ton of mystery as to who he is. Like he's mm-hmm. a good cutter, he's a very good shooter, he's an intelligent player, he's a, a quick ball mover, if not like a great um, you know, manipulative passer. And he's going to be like a quick strike offensive weapon, like Cole said. It's more um, I where we might differ about his personal placement is just what kind of value proposition that is for teams drafting in a certain slot. But I don't judge anyone for having Kispert in the teens or anything like that. And like all of that stuff is stuff that I would project, hopefully, that Livers could do. I'm not saying I am projecting it, but that would be the hope for any team drafting him is that he can get to some of the things that Kispert can do, which is why we're unified that Kispert's the better prospect. But um, with Livers specifically, I... I do wonder if um if he could lose some weight like really you know tone up his body so that instead of being listed at 67230 he's 67220 or something like that if some of his movement skills uh you know could improve cuz he does um you know he sh- I've seen him get a couple chase down blocks he has decent athleticism he at least battles uh, on the boards and, you know, in the big 10, that's always a very physical proposition. Um, and so I wanted to know, like, do y'all, do, Nate, do you think that that is something that could be unlocked with livers? Or do you think that the book on him is basically as certain as it is with Kispert just to a, a less successful level?
0: Well, two things. One, I'm glad you brought that up because when you just look at him, he does look a little doughy to me. And I think when you get into an NBA training program and a regimen, some of that weight, I think is going to fall off and how much that adds to like some of his speed and his movement, that's to be determined, but I definitely think it could help him. Like, like we could, we could all point out like five to 10 guys in the NBA, where if they lost, like not even anything like major, like 25 pounds, but they just lost like 10 pounds. And they shut off a little bit more of that baby fat. Like, what would they be in terms of an athletic package? I think all of them could 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 make enough of an improvement to where it might unlock something a little bit different about their movement game. And and I agree with that for for Livers. And the other thing I'll say about him is that it, it is a shame that he got hurt when he did, because I think if he had had a healthy tournament run and he'd help that Michigan team do better than they did. Man, I think he would have solidified himself as a first-rounder if he could have shown maybe in LA He wasn't going to change his shooting percentages on the year, really, as a whole. But if he could have just given like NBA general managers or NBA executives more glimpses at some of those isolation-type moves that he did show some examples of at Michigan on a bigger stage, I think that definitely would have bode better for his case, and I think he could have solidified himself as like a back-end first-round guy versus maybe being like an early to mid-second, somewhere in like that 30 to 45 range because of some of those injury concerns and some of the deficiencies that we've laid out. What do you think about that point, Cole?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think he I think he will, like at the next level, just thinking about it, as you guys talk uh, – We love reverse projection over here at Draft Deeper. We think it will happen with (laughs) Harper. Uh, We think it'll happen with a couple other guys, and and reverse projection just to spell it out for you guys is what you were talking about, Chuck. Where a guy's a little doughy and gets into the league, drops a few pounds, and you know that unlocks a little bit of a a quicker step or some more explosiveness. Definitely think it could be the case for Isaiah Livers, um, and hopefully that helps him with his his injuries there. But he's also hopefully he keeps like a bit of a, a thicker body though, because I think it'll help him find value off the ball at the next level. Um, he's I think he could be a really good scene screen setter off the ball. And then, you know, you get him in open pockets where there's going to be defensive collapses at the, at the next level. There always is. And he's a great candidate to, you know, catch a quick pass and turn and shoot and be, you know, very efficient in that manner. So I like him off the ball at the next level as well. I do think he'll find value there. No, it is a shame. He got hurt when he did, he could have shown a couple more things uh, and and pushed his way into the back end first round. Like you said, it,
0: that is a good point, and and I, I think that while, while I pointed out in, in my Corey Kisper profile that that's up on the website that I really liked, and, and I pulled one clip definitely as an example of a Corey Kisper pick-and-pop action, I do agree that that should be a way that Isaiah Livers is used at the next level, and and I think he's... Just just by default, because of his size being a little, a little bigger than Kispert, I think he is a better screen setter than Kispert. I would definitely like to see that unlocked a little more in the NBA, Chuck. What do you, What do you think about that point specifically and how he's used? Like we're talking about some of his athletic de- deficiencies. And again, he's not a bad athlete, but he he's not elite. Do Do you really want to see him just running around the court constantly off screens and? off of all that movement like you would use Kispert in the same way or or maybe if you use utilize a different part of his skill set that he could be as valuable or, or or who knows potentially even more valuable than Kispert if you just use him in a different way.
1: Um yeah, I I think the way that Kispert is used um you know all these different little tricky, you know pick and pop, ghost screens, handoffs, relocation deep three shooting a lot of that is unlocked because of how well kispert uh, moves and how quickly his release or how quick his release is pardon me and i look at livers's release just on isolation as every bit as good as kispert's when he's on i mean that he does not care about contests or closeouts and when he is set and that and he lets it fly it looks as good as any other shooter in the draft but anyway yes like the short answer is yes you could use him in screens and pick and pops to sort of like increase the diversity of his offensive value as opposed to him just being a catch and shoot guy i think that for a shooting specialist you know shooting specialist is going to very quickly if it hasn't already in the nba morphed from catch-and-shoot shooting spe- specialist to just all-around shooting specialist. Mm-hmm. where guys like J.J. Redick, who made their money shooting off movement and running around the court tirelessly, are going to become much more the norm than they are the exception. And so I think Livers is going to have to improve on, on that, regardless of how he's used offensively. I mean, even if he's used intelligently on screens i don't see like a ton of players who don't have great movement skills who are buffered by the fact that they can set solid screens i mean if anything it's the threat of a screen just enough to get the, def- the defense to pay attention that opens up space for that kind of player and you see guys like steph curry do it and steph Curry's a willing screener but he doesn't set bone crunching screens he just sort of make sure that he sets enough of a screen to paralyze the defense before he relocates. Yep. And his movement skills are yep. so good that everything, you know, past that is is money for him. And so I think that it's the movement skills specifically that Livers needs to work on um, in order to reach a, a really productive level. But I do think it would be on the table for him. If he cuts that weight for him to potentially become a more valuable player than Kisper. It's just, you know, it's a remote chance, but I think it's a chance.
0: Yeah, and and that's that's the kind of stamina that, that you need to have to really star in that kind of a role, and, and I think we can all agree on that, and I think we arrived where we needed to, was that Livers just—he's going to have to get in better shape to be in constant motion, running around the court to free himself up for some of those looks, like Kispert, if he's going to excel— in a similar type of role like that's what makes kispert so special is he's like a guy like a jj reddick or a kyle korver like he he's always moving he's always doing something and you don't quite see that level of conditioning and that level of attentiveness from livers all the time like it's one thing if like he has this high release and, and he can shoot the piss out of the ball and he he can hit from the corners or from the wing wherever that's great but if he doesn't move and you can just have somebody pay attention to him on defense and just keep a body on him, how useful is he, right? Like, the, the like, is he going to figure out how to move and get away from defenders in a way that Corey Kispert was able to for the majority of the year? And obviously, there's some exceptions for him, too. Like, he wasn't perfect against pressure defenses, and that's probably the biggest part of why he fell apart and wasn't as efficient, specifically in those last two games. Of the season in the final four although to his credit he especially the championship game he was doing some stuff off the dribble finishing with the offhand off a floater like like he was showing some of that stuff that he does have in his game albeit limited and it's not pretty but he does have some of it um and and you're definitely going to need to see some of that from livers too but yeah if he can't figure out how to separate himself better and get on the move more On a consistent basis, then you're going to see some of those mixed results in the NBA. So I I think we all arrived at the same point on that. Now, moving on to, I will say a triad, like a trio, because I think that we were talking off air a little bit. These three guys we want to go over Aaron Henry, Herb Jones, and Terrence Shannon Jr., they're in terms of impact, they're all kind of like a similar wing player, right? But they each do different things better than the other and i'll kind of lay it out and this is how i see it, and then chuck i'll go to you in terms of how you kind of see these guys branching out but to me herb jones is the best pure defensive player of the three i think aaron henry is the best athlete of the three and would technically have the most to unlock offensively because of his athletic package and his body comp- composition and then Terrence Shannon, at least to me, I know Cole might have some disagreements, he might lean towards Henry, but Terrence Shannon to me is the best shooter and score of the three. And while nothing he necessarily does off the dribble is, is quote-unquote pretty or refined, it's really janky, it's junky, but it works. And like when I was going back, and I and I and I wrote out Kate Cunningham's profile this week for for Oklahoma State. Uh, one of the games I went back and watched his was against Texas Tech when when Terrence Shannon was really taking it to Oklahoma State, and he was hitting a whole bunch of shots off the dribble, and a lot of it looked cleaner at times than than I had seen from him in the past. And he is so engaged. He is a tough guy. He wants to eat your heart out constantly and he he doesn't care he will do whatever it takes to win a game and to me that's why i think out of these three guys i think terrence shannon is my guy out of the three chuck i don't know where you stand on these three guys i will say that that henry has been disappointing to me a little bit throughout his career i thought that we'd get a little bit more from him particularly in like shooting consistency than we've seen and Herb jones probably has he has, uh, he has extra value to offer from a playmaking perspective, although he's not quite the playmaker I think that some people like to make him out to be. But at the same time, he could end up being the best unique perimeter defensive weapon of the three and, and even an, an interesting shot blocking weapon from the weak side. So I, I know I'm throwing a lot at you, kind of giving you three guys to work with here and how you feel about them. But where are you, Chuck, on these three guys? How would you rank them specifically? And how do you kind of see some of their games playing out?
1: Yeah. uh, The short version is that I agree that I like Terrence Shannon the best.
0: I I don't want your short version, Chuck. We we know you go in depth. I want your long version. (laughs) Don't tell us short.
1: Okay. All right. All right. All right. So I like, uh, I like Terrence Shannon the best because I think I agree that he is the most talented shooter out of the three. And he's also the youngest out of the three. And anytime that yeah. intersection hits, it's notable. Um, he's, I think he turns 21 in July. So he played all this year at 20 years old, first NBA season at 21. Um And I think that the, the main area of growth for him, you know, going back to what we spoke about with Isaiah livers is, you know, he just has to put on some weight and get a little bit stronger. His, his willingness to drive and to embrace physicality is there. He just gets bumped off his spot or he'll get stripped uh, just because he's not that strong yet. But explosive athlete, very good first step, you know, competitiveness is all there. And he was uh, a guy, I think a lot of people were watching this year to see if his three point shot would come along because he was one of those guys who was like free throw numbers were there, but he didn't shoot very well from three as a freshman and the three started to come along for him. He did shoot better this year um, on it, but looking at his mechanics, I really like his shot. And I think it's definitely going to be there in the pros. I mean, he, I I saw him hit some off of movement. He hit some off the dribble. He's got his, you know, shooting pocket on the same side as where he releases the ball. So he, you know, uses a hang cross to get into it a lot. Um, But I just think it's going to be there for him. I I don't see anything really to worry about. And I think as he gets stronger and he improves his core, um, that shot is going to become more diverse. I like his passing vision. He, again, your point about his competitiveness is right on. He, um, he is very willing to try passes, does not play, you know, extremely tentatively. And, you know, Aaron Henry is a good passer in his own right. Yep. But There's a lot of, and this may not be his fault, but there's a lot of times in that Michigan state offense, you know, where they play through rocket Watts, and he just sort of, hangs out in the corner for a few possessions and I probably is just a factor of that offense but I would hope that Aaron Henry third year uh you know best player on his team best athlete on his team that they would just feed him more usage than he had and towards the end of the season you saw a little bit of that and he has a very interesting you know all-court game we can get into a little bit more um here in a minute but I just, I, I, he seems to not have the same um, quick action that Terrence Shannon does. And that might sound a little vague, but Terrence just moves like he just moves more quickly. He's just a bit more explosive He's all around. He's a more
0: graceful athlete than Aaron Henry. Like Aaron Henry, I, I think, has more to him, but he, he doesn't move as gracefully as Terrence Shannon does. That's how I would word it, at least
1: exactly that, that's right. And I think that Aaron um, is a bit more of a quick decision maker as well. And a lot of times, uh, when Aaron Henry's made his his uh, not quite, you know, heliocentric plays, but when the, the offense is revolving around him, he likes to go in the post, he's comfortable doing that comfortable passing out of the post. And it's just not a skill that's going to be utilized very frequently on an NBA floor. Um, and it's not that I I dislike Aaron, but I see Terrence Shannon and he really is an outside in playmaking, attacking player, you know, comfortable shooting the three in different ways um, and just looks to me to be a guy who's going to figure it out in the NBA, especially as he gets a little bit stronger. Um, I can keep going, but I, I don't want to just completely ramble on a, on the stuff you gave me.
0: No, we can we can go to Cole and then we'll we'll kind of maybe pick apart each guy just just a little bit more. But Cole, what what are your general thoughts on on where we're at in this part of the conversation?
2: I'm with you both that Terrence is probably the number one guy out of these three. Um, I like what you said on the on the or Nate about Henry that he has the most to unlock. That's kind of what I was getting about uh, off air with you earlier. So, but I agree that Terrence is going to be you know he is the best shooter and scorer right now. Um, I have some concerns about him, but I do see the improvement he made from freshman to sophomore year as a as a ball handler and scorer. So I think that's, you know, that's a big, big, big green flag for him in terms of, you know, I think the arrow is pointing up. But I question, and I'll, and I'll let you guys take over this, I question his defensive uh, reads, and then also just in general, you know, his, his offensive efficiency as a passer really drops when he's trying to make plays for others. So I think he's great at getting his own offense, but when it comes to maybe making that extra dish or reading reading when to make the pass, it's it's not so hot for him. What do you guys think about that?
0: Well, that actually kind of leads me to to another question I'll give I'll give my opinion on it and then I'll kick that question over to Chuck. Is that how how good are these prospects from Texas Tech how, how much are they actually soaking up about the game and how much better at reading the game are they actually getting by by going there when they were playing under Chris beard like I'll, I'll give an example. I, I, I wasn't it's not that I was high on Jamias Ramsey, by any means, but I definitely thought that he was like a first round talent because of some of the raw skill that that he displayed as a shooter as a mover off the ball like i thought that he was going to be able he was going to be able to make an impact offensively but by now in the nba and he was drafted by the sacramento kings and he just kind of like evaporated maybe that's more and chuck maybe you have that opinion maybe that's just more on jamias ramsey or maybe some of these questions we're asking about shannon maybe it's more of a developmental thing and where these guys are coming from and coming out of versus just what's in their individual makeups i don't know if you have a response to that about shannon
1: Um, well, I mean, as far as Jemias goes, I mean, he was, he was 18 all of last year and he's 19 all of this year in the NBA. I I just think he just isn't, he's just not ready and that's fine. You know, Mm -hmm. and it still might have been the right decision to go if he was going to get, you know, if he knew he was going to get picked, um, which I think he got picked in the top 40, if I'm not mistaken. So like he had his reasons, but I I don't think it's, it's, uh, it's time to like write the book on his NBA career. I think he's, could could have a lot of value. As far as Shannon goes, you no, know, I comparing him to Jamias or Jared Culver, um I'll be frank that I I have not been doing this long enough to have what I feel like are really sophisticated opinions on where Culver or Jamias were as prospects. Maybe Jamias a bit more since I really started doing this last year. But when I see um to what Cole was saying about his reads and um both on defense and as a playmaker i i you know i think that's right it's it's more what makes me optimistic about him is that he moves very well um i think on i think he's a good lateral mover on defense he's not as good as aaron henry i mean henry is the best defender out of the three of these guys in my opinion um even though you know we'll get to herb it's more just that I evaluate prospects um, from an offensive standpoint, first and foremost, like consistently, because I don't, I think it's rare that you find a prospect coming into the league, who's going to be a real defensive asset right away. You know, everyone is going to have stuff to learn, especially with whatever scheme their organization is implementing. It's really more to me, if, someone is going to be an outright disaster on defense and you're you're sure they're not going to be good on defense. Like Nate, when we talked about Sharif Cooper, that I think is a very fair concern to have for him. But for Shannon with his athleticism uh, and his tools, as long as he's willing to work, and I, I don't know any indication that would suggest that he's not, um, I think that he will likely figure it out. Maybe not right away, but The offensive value is sufficient to make him uh, the best out of those three and to probably distinguish him, frankly, from Jemias and uh, Jarrett Culver, because Culver always had the questions on his shot. And Jemias was much more of a, you know, catch and shoot, catch and shoot, catch and shoot player. And I think Shannon does have more in his bag when it comes to playmaking than he did.
0: We'll 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 see if that question ultimately does get answered with Chris Beard going to Texas now. If guys start coming out of the Texas program when he's there and they're not coming into the league more polished in terms of understanding the game and making reads on both ends than when they got there under him, I don't know. We might have more of a large sample size. Who knows? But um, that that's just kind of my my two cents on on some of it, and maybe why Cole's bringing up some of these questions because they are valid questions. Yeah, we haven't talked about Herb at all. Out of these three guys, I kind of threw him into the tribe. We haven't really talked about him. um I'll, I'll throw it back to you, Chuck, because you just said that you don't think that Herb is is a better defensive prospect than than Aaron Henry. I'm curious as to your reasoning why. Because when I watch Herb Jones, I think the way that he moves his feet, the way that he is consistently moving his hips like man those hips can turn he must be one hell of a dancer when when he's not playing basketball at least in my (laughs) opinion because of his hip work it is phenomenal and that's really what you're looking for maybe maybe he's not like the combo forward defender that Aaron Henry can be like Henry has the body to be able to play up defensively obviously he has the athleticism and the speed to keep guys in front of him but like if he gets into a situation where he's backed down by somebody yeah I trust that he's going to be able to hold his own where maybe Herb Jones can't But just in terms of what Herb is able to to recognize off the ball, when he's able to move so quickly off the weak side to be able to help, the way that he can keep guys in front of him on the perimeter and hold them there because of his size, length, the way that he moves his body, as I outlined. Herb is a very unique defensive weapon. And and shout out to one of Cole and I's old co-workers by the name of Jake Pavorski. I remember when we were at Evie Hoops and, and one of the meetings that, that Jake walked into, we were all just kind of talking about a few guys that we weren't necessarily gonna be talking about that night at the meeting. And this was during Herb's freshman season. But he said, guys, I don't know when, but Herb Jones is gonna be really, really good. I don't, like I said, I don't know when, but it's going to happen. We're gonna be talking about this guy as a real prospect. And he won SEC Defensive Player of the Year this year. And he he's certainly proven that at the very least on that end of the floor, while the shot hasn't quite come around, while he still has some question marks about some of his half court scoring skills, I think he could be a a pretty unique defensive weapon in the NBA. I guess really in terms of where you would draft him, it's just about how, how much do you value a weapon like him nowadays, someone that you're not really going to look at to give you much offense, but somebody who could be an interesting playmaker in transition, someone who isn't immune to running a few pick and roll sets here and there if given the opportunity. And then obviously, when you get uh, from, a, from a defensive standpoint, Chuck, where where are you kind of at on, on Herb Jones and where would you be comfortable drafting him?
1: Uh, I really like Herb, and I should clarify. I he is a better defender than Aaron Henry is right now. It's mainly your point about uh, Aaron's body, about what he could unlock. That I think he is a mm-hmm. better defensive prospect, just because Herb, you know, Herb's a, I think a year older than Aaron, and is still needs to I think put on weight in order to not be sort of a, a skinny defender. Now, what he does is incredible on that end, because in addition to every uh, physical attribute that you mentioned about his hip flexibility and how he keeps guards on the perimeter, he uh, is one of the toughest players in the draft. Yep. One of the very, very toughest competitors in the draft. Frequently played hurt at Alabama, got nicked up, played through it. Had a game, I think, his his junior year. Where he hurt, I think he hurt his uh, shooting hand, hurt his wrist at the end of the game and shot his free throws. With his offhand his right hand and hit them both just a really um really just insane sort and i'm not insane but just like a very hard-working beloved guy uh, in that program i would take him um i think i would take him in the first half of the second round because the theory to make herb a rotation guy in the league is very simple and it's just his his jumper if you feel as though um, the advancement in the jumper this year, which was, you know, a night and day from what it was, since I think last year he shot 6% on it or something, you know, obscene, to now, you know, low 30s. If a team thinks that they can really turn him into a viable catch and shoot player, then he'll see the court because of how, uh, how switchable he is and how hard he plays. And how you know selfless he is as well. And so it's it it really comes down to that. And I think that his shot looks um certainly improved. I you know, it's a long release, it's out in front of him. He doesn't look like he'll ever be sort of a movement shooter, but being six eight helps, and being willing to shoot helps, and you know what kind of a worker he is. Um, do y'all see anything in particular about his jumper that make you Think that it's projectable enough for him to stay on the floor or do you think that there's that it's just more likely than not that it never comes up to a a good enough level for him to to, to be a rotation guy in the league
0: i mean i'll I'll just say that and, and then i'll kick it over to cole that yeah he improved his percentage to 35 percent from three this year but he only he only takes under two of them a game so right. i'm not quite sure if it's a fact that mechanically his shot is that off, I personally don't think that he's that far away from being like, like if we want to call average 3 point shooter in the NBA like a 34 35% mark, I don't think he's that far away from from getting there and staying there in the league. I think it is honestly more of a repetition and more of like a comfort thing for him like I don't know how much he's really prioritized working on it and making it more of a consistent weapon in game. Like he's going to racket those attempts up from like just under two to maybe he's going to get up to like four or five and be a lot more comfortable taking that shot. Maybe that happens in the NBA, maybe a coaching staff that he's able to work with privately instills that level of confidence in him to the point where it can be a better weapon for him. That's more or less what I think it's about. And I, Cole, I don't know if you have any other thoughts on that, but you also pulled, a lot of interesting negative numbers for herb today from Synergy, like, just, to, just to put it bluntly before Cole reads anything off that he wants to. Synergy hates Herb Jones offensively. <laughs> um, and, and that's just putting it lightly. Like, 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 for example, like I talked about some of his pick and roll ability that like I wouldn't call him like this excellent playmaker out of pick and roll by any means. I've at least seen him do it. Like he's not immune to doing it, but like Synergy hates him. In pick and roll scenarios and in a lot of transition scenarios as well in general so like things that i highlighted that he might be good at the numbers actually say no nate you're damn wrong he's not good at these things so why don't you enlighten us a little bit cole about your thoughts and maybe some of the numbers you pulled
2: yeah uh, i'll read down the numbers and then like you said you give you guys my thoughts here so He's a measly 19th percentile in transition, which rates him out as below average. Um, He's rated out as poor in pick-and-roll ball handler when hunting his own offense. Um, And so, like, those are not great numbers for a senior who's had pretty good usage rates throughout his time at Alabama. Um, And I don't really see those things coming around. I do think the shot will come around. I I think it is a matter of repetition, like you're saying, Nate. Um, And and pretty much everybody who goes to the league— gets better at shooting it just you, you have all day to work on it you have professional coaching um you know you get film to watch all the time and just you know you, you get to figure it out a little bit more than you would at college uh that said he is really going to be lim- like he, like i said he's limited on offense otherwise he's straight up three and d guy the defense is going to be special i think uh for whatever role he does carve out you guys said it the way he moves his hips and, and feet and, and also at the same time he keeps his hands up like all the time when he does that. So he's engulfing guys on the perimeter. He's, he really you know makes it tough for guys to navigate anywhere uh, into the paint. So that's, that's really his calling card for me at the next level.
0: And we, we've been talking about bodies through this podcast. If you had to get me to place a bet on who's probably going to maintain and keep the best body out of the three, obviously I think we'd all point to Aaron Henry as a heavy favorite, but I would actually rate terrence shannon to be in a different class than herb like herb has the length over all three of them but his body, like he is he is built really slender and, and i don't see him being able to pack on much more muscle at all now how, how that plays out in terms of the strength base that he's able to build particularly in his lower body like if he's going to be asked to play the four spot and deal with more of those matchups versus playing like a two three combo and being able to guard more out on the perimeter i think that his strength base definitely needs to come from his lower body first and foremost and even necessarily in his upper body. But yeah, he, he's got the worst body build out of the three. And I think that that's really Chuck, some of what you were highlighting too, when you were talking about who you like the best out of these three guys, that that body makeup definitely plays a factor into where these guys could ultimately end up down the road.
1: Yeah. And you can just, you can just sort of see like, we all see how good a defender Herb is uh, at the college level, but if he, like, say he gets a cup of coffee, you know, he—it's the third week of the season. Maybe some injuries allow him to get a chance, and he goes up and he tries to guard—not even one of like the stars in the NBA. Let's say he's—they're playing Philly, and he's like he's one-on-one with Tobias Harris. Tobias would back him down into the third row. Like, it's just the level of physicality that you need in order to hold up and provide real defensive value is substantial. And if that part of his game is not immediately good, then you have to, you're leaning on whatever offensive game he has, which to Cole's point is much further away. And that's why I think Herbert, you know, he's got an uphill battle ahead of him. The, The reason that I, I feel as though I would still take him in the first half of the second round is that he is so switchable on defense that I feel like, you know, he could pick up guards pretty well in the league, I think with his movement yep. skills. And it's just, if you have a creative enough um, lineup around him, not that you would, you know, draft her, but the idea of building things around him, but if you have a creative enough scheme to creative enough coach, he could be a very valuable defender guarding down. I think what you would you would look like, you see that Herb's 6'8", and that he's such a good defender, and he has all these good defensive numbers, and you would hope that he'd be able to guard up or guard fours and be like, oh, well, this is our guy that's going to guard Luka Doncic. I don't think that he's going to be that guy. But I do think there's a real path for him in the league. And the point y'all made about his pick-and-roll playmaking he I don't think he's gonna be a great pick and roll operator. I think he's more of a, you know, drive and kick, drive and kick, drive and kick guy. Yep. But one thing that shocked me about him um is that he's not that good a finisher. And if there's one thing he does do, is he can explode off of one foot towards the rim. He only shot, you know, 53% at the rim. Um, I was on another podcast talking about Herb and we were trying to figure out. You know, why it was that that finishing just was not there and the best i can i can make of it is that he just um doesn't have a really polished finishing package he doesn't have a great sense for playing angles off the glass he doesn't really know when not to shoot and keep his dribble alive or when to you know kick it out every time and it's just not something he's used to which would suggest that maybe he could get better at it do y'all feel that way when you see him try to finish, or do you think that it's just never gonna be there for him?
0: Well, he has the longest strides out of any of these three guys that we're talking about. So I think if you if you're asking me who could potentially improve going at the basket the most out of these three guys once they set foot in the NBA game, it's probably her because of the spacing that he's likely going to have, just playing in the NBA game versus in the college game where everything's packed in more tight. Um So I think there's absolutely room for him to improve naturally. But a lot of that, when you talk about finishing too, if it's not always related to it being a pure touch issue, that also comes back to strength base and where you're looking to finish, how you're looking to finish. If you're going into the defense, how well are you able to absorb contact? And obviously he's a tough kid. We can all agree that he's a tough kid. He's I wouldn't put him quite as the competitor that Shannon is, but like he's up there, right? So it's not about him not willing to go into the defense and finish at the basket. But if he's honestly just not strong enough to do something once he gets there or finish through contact enough or or bounce off of it well enough, then, you know, that, that's going to be an issue for him in the NBA. But if he's, if he's able to use some of those long strides and maybe a, a, a little bit more of that dribble craft that I think is there for him at his size, not, not like trying to uh, completely up his handle by any means, but he, he, it's not like he can't handle the ball at all. So I think that there is a little bit of room for natural improvement just off of those factors alone. What do you think, Cole?
2: Yeah, I would say that the number is where it is right now because of his strength. Uh, Strength-related, as well as, as yes, he has long strides, but I don't think his footwork is very advanced. He's just kind of a long strider when he gets to the rim, and so he's not really varying things up as he, as he looks to attack the basket. And so, just yes, the space will help him at the next level. But he, I think getting with a footwork coach would just help him worlds, uh, both on the perimeter as a shooter and just driving to the basket. You know, See, being able to capitalize on the opportunities he might have at the next level with the increased space, he's going to need to do that, like you said, Chuck, because. He's he's gonna have to contribute offensively in some regard. He's not like he's not a first he's not a first tier defender in the sense that he's gonna be able to anchor a starting uh, starting wing defend defending position. Like you said, he can't handle Tobias. He can't handle some of these bigger wings that can really back you down and score. Um, so I think he's really gonna have to try and blossom his offensive game as much as possible. Um, if I may get granular here for a second, you guys kind of mentioned it about how hard he plays and, and, you know, he's willing to go through injuries and whatnot. Given the infrequency he's shot so far and like just say he hurts his wrist again, like if he's not able to shoot at a high efficiency because this guy is always getting hurt, playing his ass off on defense, like are we, is he going to play his way out of the league at some point?
0: I guess the question is, is he made of paper mache? I, I guess is, is the real question. Like, is that going to be a, a bug that holds him down? I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. Honestly, you bring up an interesting point, Chuck. I don't know if you have any other thoughts on that. I, I don't, I don't have an answer for that question. Like that, that's obviously a real possibility. And so, and one of the ways we kind of outlined that for Livers why some people could be hesitant in, in their right to, to not necessarily want to look at him towards the top of the second round. You can absolutely make the same kind of argument for for Herb because if we're talking about durability and and like what they're made up of, while Livers has a different body and he's more doughy and that's really could be a, a, a concern for some of his injuries would, would be like a weight thing. If Herb's made of papier-mâché and he's not able to to pack on more, a little more weight to help with that a little bit and he's just going to be going through some injuries that could potentially put him out of the league like, yeah, that's that's a similar type of concern.
1: Yeah, and I actually come at it from the opposite perspective. I I don't think you know because clearly, yeah, if he gets hurt and he can't, he can't you know be healthy enough to constantly work on his game in productive ways and have the right strength and get the right reps, then he won't make it. But it's more to me like, what are his theories of playing his way into the league? Because I don't think, let's say he's healthy at draft time, which we hope he stays healthy through draft time. I don't think any spot is guaranteed to him. And I don't think a spot is guaranteed for that matter to any of these other guys. I think that livers probably has the, the most certain of a chance to make a rotation right out of the gate um, because of that shooting. But I mean, they're second rounders not because they're not talented. I think this might be, you know, the most talented or at least the deepest second round of any draft, at least that I remember ever seeing it's, it's just more that those spots are competitive, man. And there's going to be, you know, Herb is very athletic. I actually think that he is more explosive athlete uh, than Aaron Henry is. I know Nate that you said, you thought that Aaron was the best all around athlete, but For all of his athletic uh, explosion and movement and toughness, there will be, you know, 20, 30, six foot eight guys who shoot better than him, ready and willing to take his rotation spot if he can't justify it. And so it's, it's just going to be an uphill climb. It's an uphill climb for all of them, but especially so uh, for Herb since he's arguably the furthest away offensively.
0: Cole, I, I, we we've all mentioned Aaron Henry as having the most promise out of these three guys, maybe even potentially all four if you really want to throw livers in there, because of the package that he has to work with just from a physical standpoint. But I think we could all agree that he's disappointed us at, at Michigan State, and he hasn't quite been this this top shelf level prospect that I think he could have been. Like when, when when I was first watching him at Michigan State when he when he got there he reminded me a lot of miles bridges a guy who did go high in the draft and has certainly made an impact for charlotte since he's been in the league but i just think aaron henry hasn't done anything well enough consistently to keep keep himself up when we're talking about his draft stock and i think to me it's not that there are a ton of things that he can't do it's the fact that he doesn't do anything well enough on a consistent basis so what are some of your thoughts on why he might have disappointed you and what he can do to take advantage of some of that promise that we all think he has to prop himself back up in the draft conversation?
2: I mean, from a, from a statistical point, I guess it's kind of the most disappointment. I he just didn't shoot the rock that well this year, uh, coming in at 29.6% from three. It's pretty, pretty lackluster for a guy of his talent. Um, but I think, you know, something. We don't know to the situation. Maybe the situation just wasn't great for him this year. He was not feeling Michigan State, but he was locked into the season and he played it out. You know, we just don't know what what goes wrong. There was a lot of heat on Izzo this year for a couple different things. I don't want to get too much into that, but like, who knows what what went wrong there mm-hmm. or what didn't go wrong there? So, aside, I think Henry's a very intriguing prospect. Um, he's kind of the guy I, I would say like get this kid in the G League and say. get him kid like just take off all the cuffs and see what he's about um just get it i think a change of scene might just be what he needs honestly and like a coaching staff that believes in him and believes in his talent um and you know that happens at the g league level first and then it happens at the pro level great because he's he's got a lot to him um and like you said he's got an impressive physical package he doesn't move quite like shannon does but his body control with his start and stop ability is pretty impressive uh at his size with the ball in his hand so I like Henry a lot. I just think he needs some time to to polish up and get out of the situation he was in this year.
0: I agree with that. I will say that like, if if you ask the common man to just look at these four guys and just say, who do you think is the NBA player out of the four? Who do you think looks like the NBA player out of the four? Aaron Henry's going to win that probably like nine times out of 10 just because of his physical stature. The fact that he's built like a a linebacker. Uh, He's listed at 6'6", 210. That, that that's probably right. He might even be a little heavier than that. Who knows? Cause he, he certainly looks like it, especially in his, his, his broad shoulder base. Um, but Chuck, Chuck, what, what do you, th- what would you like to see from, from Aaron Henry in terms of solidifying himself as a guy who could stick to a rotation in the league? You kind of agree with Cole on some points or, or, or do you have some other thoughts of your own? Uh, I agree.
1: <laughs> I agree with Cole a lot. I mean, the shooting is the thing with him. If he shot, 37 percent this year he'd be a first rounder i mean it just is what it is so i I mean when i see his form um i don't think it looks terrible i don't think it really projects to be a a a movement shot in the same way that i don't think herb ever projects to be a movement shooter he just he looks like he needs to be really square towards the hoop before he lets a shot go um I it, it, I think he should be shooting better than 30% from the field and you can see how much more comfortable he is uh, in the mid range when he can rise up and just sort of, you know, one dribble jumpers in that, you know, area of the court. It looks, he just looks more comfortable doing it. And he has pretty good touch around the hoop with either hand as well. But the other um, aspect of his game, and I know I I talked about it with Herb as well, is that I, I feel like he should be getting to the rim more. I feel like he should be getting fouled more and he should be leveraging his physical advantages more, especially now last year as an upperclassman uh, at Michigan state. And he, you know, it's not as though he's a bull in a China shop. He can be, like I said before, very patient in the post with the ball. I just wish I saw a bit more, um, bit more physically overpowering performances from him. And I didn't ever really quite see that. It seemed like he was content to hang out, you know, he would get his touches when he got them, but there were periods of the game where he's just sort of standing in the corner. And unless he can catch a defender sleeping back door, then he could, I wouldn't, I don't want to say he would disappear. but He would sort of really, you could see him being low usage for like a half and i just wanted to see a bit more urgency from him um, cuz i think i may be a bit lower on henry in terms of his all-court potential than than you guys are so like nate w- what do you see in him in terms of i guess overall uh, offensive potential that makes you think that that he has like this potent- this like future in him this great starting wing kind of player in him
0: well i mean he can he can certainly Rip something off the break, or or get a step on somebody in the half court and take off to the rim like a monster, right? Like like he he has that that kind of potentially lightning quick first step that you look for in a guy his size at the wing spot. So he he can definitely take somebody off the dribble and finish at the rim when he gets there. I think we're all in agreement that the swing skill is the shooting, and and you pointed out as form, Chuck. I am by no means a shooting coach or a shooting specialist. I know a few things. If I were Aaron Henry, I'm looking at his shot. It seems like everything about him—he's like he's completely squared up at the shoulders. His mm. bend coming back is like at, it's this absolutely perfect ninety-degree angle. What I wonder is if he just loosened up loosened up his his stance a little bit. So if he spread his feet out just a little bit wider, maybe he didn't look to have this perfect ninety-degree bend using the left hand when he's following through on his shot. Maybe if he brought out his elbow just a little bit, like if he just like loosened up, kind of like when you talk about what his form looks a little better when he's shooting off the dribble and it's probably more natural for him. Maybe that's what he worked on more when he was growing up or something that he went to more versus being this like awesome standstill shooting weapon off the catch. Like maybe if he just loosened up and relaxed a little bit, when he was shooting off the catch maybe it's like a mental thing maybe he just thinks about it a little bit because everybody's probably talking about him. like why aren't you shooting better why aren't you shooting better your draft stock could be better if you shot the ball better maybe that's just what needs to happen i don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that like i said i'm not a shooting coach but that that's to me it just looks like he's a little tight on his shot
1: yeah i agree that he's tight and i mean i'll i'll let uh cole address it as well but i uh, it's, I think it's hard, man. I think if you're not a natural three point shooter it is sort of one step at a time. So maybe it will get looser, but I see the same
2: things that that you see. Yeah, I see them too. Um, I think it could get looser. There's all sorts of different stretching practices and all kinds of different things you do these days physically to try and loosen up different parts of your body. So I wouldn't count that out necessarily just yet, unless he gives it a try. It doesn't work of course, but I kind of wanted to, answer your question Chuck with another question like when is the last time Michigan State has had a true wing player of Henry's uh, type and really shown that they've helped develop that player at all and like how much do you hold that against Henry and how much should that be held against him in terms of his ability to get out of that situation and perhaps just turn the page and develop where he didn't where he wasn't really given that chance uh, at Michigan State
1: Uh, yeah it's a good point I mean would you say i mean miles bridges did go in the lottery so do you feel as though he was much closer like a much better developed better all-around player not just talking prospect and physical profile than than henry was when he came out because i would say he probably was
0: so my miles bridges was definitely more of a complete prospect the whole issue was it, it was tough trying to project him out of his freshman season But when he announced that he was coming back to Michigan State for his sophomore year, a lot of people actually rose him up draft boards for that next draft. And they're like, okay, this guy coming back, if he shows a little bit more polish, he works on a few things, he could be like a top five pick. But he never rose. He only fell. Why is that? To Cole's point, he didn't get any better at anything in that second year in Michigan State. If anything, he was just more of what he was during his freshman season. And I think you can kind of make that same argument for Henry, too, in the years that he's been there. I don't know if he's necessarily improved at much of anything. Maybe he's gotten more comfortable just playing the game of basketball. Maybe he he's tightened up the handle a little bit. He can, he can do a few different things off the dribble. He can make a few passes that he wasn't as comfortable making day one when he stepped on the court during his freshman year. But like other than like minor things like that, did did he really improve something where you you look at his game and you're like, oh, in his time at Michigan State, he made a major improvement to this? No, he hasn't. And and that's probably why he's fallen. Now, I don't think anybody ever had him as like a lottery level type prospect. So I can't say that like he he fell from the same level of grace that Miles Bridges did. But in a way that like Miles Bridges just like slightly fell, he didn't go up. I'd make that case for Aaron Henry. I think Aaron Henry at his best was always like a like a, a, a mid to late first rounder, like probably somewhere in like the 20s, the 30s. And now you're kind of seeing him in like the, the beginning of the second round, like a 30 to 40 range, like in didn't take a major fall, but he definitely dropped. He didn't improve his stock at all. And, and, and Cole's probably on to something that some of these guys go to Michigan State. They aren't necessarily developing any major skill or, or getting better in a significant way. They're kind of middling along learning how to you know adjust to the game of basketball a little better because Tom Izzo is one hell of a coach and he knows what to do with the players when he gets them to play to his strengths and win games for him but how much is he really making them better for the NBA game I think that's a great point that remains to be seen
1: yeah I guess uh and sorry I I wanted to know if Cole had an answer uh to his question like do you hold that more against Michigan State
2: uh you know I'm kind of just Realizing that today and, you know, the last day or so as I researched for this. I, you know, Jerry Jackson left as a freshman. And I'm wondering, like, do we see the stuff that he's pulling off in the perimeter if he stays at Michigan State? I don't know. I don't think Izzo gives these guys the creativity. And I don't want to harp on Izzo because he is such a fabulous college coach and he's done so much for the game. But at, at some point, like, you, you are just trying to win college games first, getting these guys ready for the pro. And, and, and I don't know. I, I think there is something to be said for some of the lack of perimeter players that come out of Michigan State. Uh, and their development program in that, that regard.
0: Cole and I aren't done talking about that, that level of topic. I'll, I'll I'll give that spoiler for everyone listening to this show next week. We are going to be talking about the Kentucky guys and there are going to be words to be said about, are these guys coming out of Kentucky becoming better pros while they're there? Or is a lot of what they're able to show in the NBA off of work that they're doing with other coaches, other type of development staffs. Cause that's been a major thing for a lot of these Kentucky guys, and I think that Cole is absolutely in bounds. We're not, we're not questioning Tom Izzo as a coach by any means. He, none of us would ever do that. But there is a point to be made about some of these guys that are revered as these top level prospects. They're not necessarily getting better because they went to Michigan State. I know for a fact that, that when you watch some of the Jaron Jackson stuff, Cole, when he was coming out of Michigan State, he worked with some different guys when he was preparing for the draft, including Kevin Garnett, which that probably helped him a lot more during the pre-draft process than necessarily anything he might have picked up while he was at Michigan State. So, yeah, it, it, it's absolutely a, a fair point to bring up and something that's going to be talked about more and more. And, and you kind of heard some of that buzz, like like I was talking about with the Kentucky guys with somebody like Juzang not literally showing anything at Kentucky. And then all of a sudden he carried UCLA to a final four berth. Like that doesn't just happen out of thin air for no reason. So it's an interesting topic nonetheless. Um, So we actually hammered home a a lot of different points about these four guys. And this was, this was great conversation. How I want to close the podcast is not that we necessarily need to do deep dives, On these two guys but it's it's more of like while i have chuck just some interesting things that i've seen him talk about on twitter by the way if you aren't following this guy on twitter your handle's at chucking darts correct chuck yes yeah you you need to follow this guy because he brings up some some excellent points and and him and i have engaged in, in some discourse with some other people as well as ourselves obviously but josh giddy interesting name <laughs> high yeah. riser over the especially over the last few weeks i saw you tweet something i believe it was our our, our good friend nicks draft on twitter w- w- was making a point about the Knicks looking at josh giddy and you made a tweet back why why couldn't somebody like the Knicks potentially look at him mm-hmm. in the top five now i thought that was a really interesting point because it seems like everybody has their draft boards locked in on like these same five guys but yeah. I think there's room for that argument to be made because of some of the things that we've been seeing from Giddy recently. So why don't you just enlighten us a little bit, Chuck, about why you made that at that point and where you're at with somebody like him.
1: Okay. Um, So I'll say that was partially tongue-in-cheek just because I think that, like you said, we look at these guys and pick them apart and put put them back together But it seems like there's, I always think that there's way too much consensus in board making. Like, did anyone have Emmanuel Quickly as a top 10 player in last year's draft? But he's been one of the 10 best rookies. And if we were to do some sort of, you know, redraft gimmick right now, he would probably go around the top 10. So, like, things are never as settled as they may seem. And with Giddy. It's it's a pretty simple case, man. He runs a pro team in a pro league against grown men at 18. He is going to be one of the youngest players in the draft. He has size at six foot eight, and he is a very accomplished playmaker. Um, I think that you know some of the people who are listening to this probably already know, but uh, PD Webb, who's at above the break three, did a film breakdown of Josh Giddey's game on Twitch this week that you know went into more detail than I'm about to go into about his strengths and his weaknesses but basically you know the guy just sees the floor and and he he can operate in the pick and roll and in the half court at a very high level when it comes to his vision and you know just making plays and he's not that accomplished of a scorer yet his shot is his is like the most obvious question about him because I think he's shooting 67 percent from the line he's shooting low 30s now from three and that's something that has come up and he's a little bit of a string bean though he's had added some weight on and that clearly is going to help his shot as he gets stronger and stronger not a textbook shooter but it's it's coming along and at the end of the day if there's an 18 year old who's 6 8 who play makes the way that giddy does it's just just don't overthink it mm-hmm. one of the um Stats last year that I found, I've said this before on Twitter and elsewhere, but LaMelo was not my number one player last year, but I did have him high. I did have him in my first tier. And a stat that popped about him was that in the NBA, in the last 20 years, there have been, this was before this season, there have been three players that were at least six foot seven who were 20 years old or younger. And a half assists and 20% usage. And 20% usage is not crazy. It just means that you're, you know, you're trying to score a little bit and you average four and a half assists, which is a good number, but again, not crazy. And the only three players to meet those thresholds at six, seven and younger than 20 were LeBron, Luca, and Ben Simmons. It's just not a brand of player that comes along very often. And Lamello through his own way, which is incredibly unique and he's a much different prospects prospect from each of those other three guys found those thresholds and he provided a lot of value. I don't think that Giddy is maybe going to reach that usage rate. I think he's going to be much more of a rotational guard early in his career, but he might average four or five assists as a rookie. And it's 6-8 if you can do that, man, it's just it it augers well. Uh, as far as putting him five relative to some other guys in this draft, that goes more into you know who am I not quite as high on what am I saying about this this solid top five that everyone seems to have agreed on it's it's much more a comment that like you can only drop a guy like that so far who you know is going to provide this offensive value Giddy has his defensive questions as well but like I said before unless it looks like you're going to be an absolute sieve and completely worthless on that end I I give 18-year-olds particularly a break on defense, particularly ones who are playing in a pro league. You know, Giddy plays 30 minutes a night in that league. And that Australian league is not the NBA, but it is physical. And they set hard screens in that league. So just the fact that he can bear the load that he can, I think is very encouraging about him. And so, it's the sort of thing where if Josh giddy were were the number sixth ranked prospect going into the season, I don't think his stock would have moved an inch. I think it arguably would have gone up, but because he was whatever he was, a fringe first rounder going into the season, people are a little bit more reluctant to to give him really the boost. That's all it was. It was just trying to reframe how we think of some of these guys and their skill sets. Um, but what what do y'all see when you think about Giddy?
0: You can call it a reframe all you want, but, like, when you made that point, like, I didn't think you were crazy by any means. Like, I kind of just, like, sat there, and I was like, oh, like, you know what? Chuck, whether he means this or not, like, Chuck has a damn point. Like... I, I think a huge misconception behind Giddy, not, not necessarily anything related to what PD Webb did on Twitch, which, yeah, by the way, I'm glad you plugged that because I was going to plug that. If anybody hasn't had the chance to see that, he, he has the clip saved on his Twitch account. Of, uh, the, I think it's just PD underscore Webb or something like that. If you follow him at Above the Breakthrough on Twitter, you'll definitely find it. But, yeah, not, not necessarily to that, but when you look at Giddy, like, you're just looking at him. Like, when I talked about, those four guys previously that we mentioned and I said that Aaron Henry, like if you had to make a bet uh, in terms of like what they looked like, you're going to bet that Aaron Henry looked like the NBA player, the most out of the four of them. If you look at Giddy, you're not necessarily having that same thought. Right. And I think like when people are going back and like watching tape and looking at this like six, eight, six, nine, long, lanky white guy who's not necessarily like built or like muscular by any means. He's just tall. Like, like you just look at him and that doesn't scream out like NBA star, right? Like I think he's definitely a victim to that point to an extent, but when you actually dig into the film and you watch him and and you look at what he's good at, at his size. Yeah. you, You don't find Josh Giddey's just growing on trees every day. And I think that's the main point that everyone's been trying to illustrate about him is that while he might not end up bearing out, as like a, like a lottery guy or like a top 10 or a top five guy in this draft, I think you have to go into his evaluation with more of an open mind than you might have previously and kind of get past some of those misconceptions that we might just naturally have when we're looking at some of these prospects and trying to evaluate them and say who looks like a star, who can be a star in the NBA if you're talking about drafting again that high. I think you need to look past some of that and just dig into the film and look at what he's doing. Because to your point, Chuck, he is tearing it up in the NBL right now. And and if Cole doesn't mind, I want to read you some stats, Chuck, Uh, all credit goes to Cole for pulling these numbers. He was the stats guy this week. I, I, by no means I I didn't do this homework, but I want to just read you some numbers. So his, we, we actually did a podcast, our our last podcast, when we talked about him on March 18th. So we're pretty much like a month out from that podcast. When we last talked about him, his four game sense, he's 12 points a game, but nine assists per game, nine rebounds a game. 45 percent from the floor 40 percent from three and 83 percent from the free throw line now he's not taking a bunch of free throws per game but he's still hitting them at a higher percentage than when he was previously at the beginning of the season like you alluded to and he's still contributing all over the floor defensively steals blocks when he can and he's trying to limit his turnovers. so you look at an entire package like that yeah there's not a lot of prospects that can put up that kind of a stat line uh, over a four game span, a five game span, a 20 game span, whatever it is, he's doing something that's unique in a man's of man's league. And that needs to be talked about more and looked at more. And I can't wait to do much more of a deep dive on Josh Giddy as I'm going through writing some of these profiles, because I think there, there is a real argument there to be made that he's this top 10 level guy, just hiding in plain sight, And we're not talking about him because he doesn't look like your traditional NBA star and he wasn't playing at a traditional college powerhouse. And I don't know what you want to contribute to that conversation, Cole, but that's, that's really where I'm at on Giddy right now.
2: Uh, Not much else to add there. just, he's got so much you can't teach just from the encore skill and then also his size at with all that skill uh, in place. It's ridiculous. He is definitely top 10. Um, Like I made the comment to a couple weeks ago, Nate, through text, I was kind of joking, but like, there's a lot of chatter around Davion Mitchell and, and Butler and rightfully so and a couple of, a couple of the other guards uh, in the tournament. But I, I jokingly said, but Josh Giddy, like, let's be honest, is, is the guy. He's 6'8", and he does all this other stuff. And he's like you guys have said a couple of times now. He's playing in a man's league, and he's, doing, he's gotten better every week. That can't be sneezed at. So, yeah, Josh Giddy is definitely a very intriguing prospect. And I think he's solidified himself as the, most, as the top international guy this year.
0: And the other thing about him too, he, he's got, he's got that Aussie swag to him. Like that man, that man does not give a shit. He's going to talk trash. He's going to get up in your grill and and he's not afraid to make something a street fight. You hear that from him. Any, any kind of interviews you hear when he's talking about uh, his passion for the game and how he sees himself as a player. I love that. If you got that, you're good in my book, my friend. I don't know if you have anything else to to add as we wrap up Giddy Chuck, but yeah, that, that, the, we, Cole and I, we saw that and we're like, you know what? Chuck makes a lot of sense. And and anybody else who has said something in that realm, like, yeah, you got to pay more attention to this guy.
1: Yeah. And I'll, just so I'm not completely hedging, I did release a board on Twitter if anyone wants to look it up uh, a couple weeks ago, where I did have giddy fifth. Now I don't, maybe I end with him seventh or whatever, but like I do believe that he is every bit in that conversation as much as kuminga or scotty barnes or anyone you know anyone else who is more traditionally getting that uh publicity um can i throw a stat real quick about aaron henry and herb jones please before we we wrap okay so this is admittedly one of the things i like doing with these prospects i like to get on um, bartorvik.com which is a database tracking all college players that tracks a lot of stats not to the granularity of synergy but it tracks um Lots of stats on uh, college guys going back to two thousand eight. One thing that Aaron Henry and Herb Jones have in common is that they, you know, created events on defense. The good blocks, good steals, guys, and both of them were wing players, perimeter guys. Which really, it's it's hard to be a good shot blocker, especially in college at that position, because typically you're funneling into a big man who's sitting at the rim in college. And they are the guys, you know, gathering up those blocks. Since uh, 2008, there have been four players in the country who went to high major schools to post a block percentage of four, at least 4%, a steal percentage of at least 2%, um who were between you know six five and six eight you know wing size guys like these two are um who had an assist percentage over 20 both these guys did now they do it in different ways there's noise in that stat i understand but guys who play make offensively and defensively like that and who had at least five dunks which is another sort of quick and dirty way to be like are you are you an athlete or are you just sort of Getting by these numbers some other way. So, once again, 20% assist percentage, four block, uh, four percentage block percentage, two steal percentage, wing sized guys, at least five dunks. (laughs) And it was Aaron Henry and Herb Jones this year, then Draymond Green and Derek White. That's Mm an all college player since 2008. So, I think that we did a good job in dissecting these guys' games and talking about you know, the challenges they face and why maybe they aren't, you know, surefire players, but they're in the second round. We know they're not surefire NBA players. So I think it's important to recognize the rarity of some of their talents. Um, because that I, I came across that and I was like, wow, that is, that is an impressive list and it doesn't mean they're going to succeed, but it does mean that they are in good company. And so I I wanted to close with that if we could.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's a better way to to end the podcast than on that. I mean, for for our audience, I promise we will talk about this guy at some point. We were going to potentially bring up Keon Johnson cuz Chuck and I have have gone back and forth in terms of our, our opinions on him. We might have had some questions for each other about him. He deserves a conversation that's probably longer than like 5 minutes. We 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 we've spent a lot of time on some of these other guys and and for good reason. These are these are guys who are going to be drafted and their games should be valued in, in, in the eyes of the nba beholders in terms of the scouts and and the executives running these teams in the front office so um chuck you are awesome man seriously you're, you're you're one of the best people who's on draft twitter right now trying to make something of themselves and get information out there on some of these prospects just like we are where can my audience find you and your work
1: Oh, uh, it's the Chucking Darts NBA podcast. Uh, It's available wherever you find podcasts, but I link uh, episodes on my Twitter at Chucking Darts. Um, The Draft Deeper Twitter account is nice enough to retweet some of my episodes, and I am obviously happy to do the same. So if y'all follow uh, Draft Deeper, and I presume that you do, then you'll see me pop up every now and again. But uh, thank y'all so much. This was such a pleasure.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Chucky. Like I said, it was awesome to have you on. And thank you, everyone out there, for listening to this episode of the Draft Deeper Podcast. If you don't follow us already, it's easy. At Draft Deeper on Twitter. Like our Facebook page. You can find it just by searching the name. Subscribe to our YouTube channel as well as subscribe wherever you would rather get your podcast, be that Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And go to the website, draftdeeper.com. I was hyping up this website for a while. We had put some test profiles out to see kind of what they looked like, how they would do in terms of Jalen Johnson and Jared Butler. Starting this week, I've been cranking out profiles nonstop. We went through Cade Cunningham and then some of the Gonzaga guys this week. Those profiles are going to keep rolling Monday through Friday. From now up through, I think, like, the draft lottery and like the back end of that week with a draft lottery at the end of June. So definitely keep an eye on the website. Give us any feedback you might have on those profiles. I'm proud of them. I think they're awesome. Cole's working on a project as well that he's going to have up on the website, a, a written project that we're going to be proud of, and something that we'll definitely dive into in multiple podcasts. And that, that's a lot of content between what we're doing here and, and what we're putting on the website. That's a lot of content to carry us up to the draft lottery. And once that lottery order and the draft order set, then we get into good old mock draft season and i'm sure that chuck is going to be stopping by again to give us some thoughts on some gm style mock drafting that we might be doing and i'm sure that we, we who knows we may find ourselves on the chucking darts nba podcast sometime again in the near future too so don't don't go anywhere there's plenty of content coming again thank you all for tuning in have a wonderful rest of your week